from the Diocese of Gallup, welcome to CrozerCast. I'm Suzanne Hammonds, Director of Communications. With me, as always, is your host, Bishop Wall, and today we have a special guest, Miss, uh, Mrs. Elizabeth Terrell, our Victims Assistance Coordinator for the Diocese of Gallup. How are you, Elizabeth? Very well, thank you for having me. It's good to have you on the show on our, our weekly podcast on CrozerCast. And so, Elizabeth, you're the Victim Assistance Coordinator for the Diocese of Gallup, and Every diocese has a victim assistance coordinator or, or some of the equivalent to that. So um, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about how long you've been doing this, maybe a little of your, your background and your credentials, and then and what it is that, that you do as the victim assistance coordinator. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been the victim assistance coordinator since, I believe, 2013. Um, I started as the interim victim assistance coordinator um, to help when our previous victim assistance coordinator uh, wasn't able to do the job because of family issues. And so when I started, I, I wasn't quite sure <laughs> what I was supposed to be doing right away. Um, but it was really good because um, the, you know, Bishop, you clarified things for me very quickly, which was good. One of the things uh, that I do most is I focus on um, victim outreach or survivor outreach. Um, so anytime somebody has an issue with a clergy member or with somebody who's employed by the diocese, um, I'm often the first phone call that they make. Um, you know, and sometimes it's just a clarification type of phone call. Sometimes it's to direct them to, uh, the right people. Um, and the main reason why, um, I accepted this appointment to the position is because I'm already a, a mental health counselor, um, in, in New Mexico. And I work specifically with children and families um, who have suffered through sexual abuse and other forms of abuse. So I'm just uniquely suited to deal with um, some of the issues that may arise in this position. Uh, even though the reports that we get about sexual abuse tend to be uh, you know, 50 years old or so, um, that can still be a very difficult thing for someone to listen to if they, if they don't have any experience in that field. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, so your, your, your background is you're a counselor yourself, and so you, your education, may want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, so I have a bachelor's in psychology from Franciscan University, um, and then I also have a master's in counseling also from Franciscan University. And uh, I moved back here to Gallup to start my own practice um, to serve our very underserved population. I'm one of the only child and family counselors in town. Yeah, so you're pretty pretty busy, pretty busy with that. It's great. Well, we are thankful that you, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that you said yes in uh, 2013. And uh, I think you, are the, you were the victim assistance coordinator as we moved through uh, Chapter 11 here in our diocese, which were, was due mostly to uh, cases, old cases of, of abuse by uh, church workers, right? Correct, yeah. And I think that was... Um, a good but difficult introduction into the, the role as victim assistance coordinator because I got to review basically every claim of sexual abuse that we've ever had in our diocese. You know, we had these huge binders with all the information and we, we reviewed them all. Um, and, I'm, and by every claim, I mean all the way back to like the 1950s, sure. um, where the majority of our claims took place during the, the 60s. And 70s um, and so you know reviewing all that information and I was able to give some insight into um, 
survivors and how they um, how abuse affects their life and and uh, and some some of the insight into how predators work and um, when they're when they're looking for victims and and what type of environments are are um, safe versus unsafe. Sure, sure. Yeah, and when you said we, we, we reviewed. So here in the diocese, we have a, um, a review board, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and and we, we in the diocese keep our review board anonymous. Some dioceses do that, and we do that. And that decision was made by me uh, in order to, to keep them anonymous and allow them to do good work uh, and not to be influenced, um, not to be pestered at the same time, because sometimes uh, mm-hmm. uh, members <laughs> of the media can pester them. And uh, because what they are is they serve as an advisory board to me, so I wanted to, to, to do that in order that they were able to give um, good information based on their own expertise, uh, led by you, and uh, that way we could, um, I think we could do what was right, and we always wanted to make sure that we, we do the right thing. We can, we can say that there were times when that wasn't done, and that's why we're trying to make sure that we uh, are doing the right uh, thing now to you know, provide a good, healthy environment for our young people to encounter the living Christ. And uh, if they ever experience some sort of wound, that they are able to be healed from that. Um, so, what kind of, would you say, what kind of protocols uh, that do we have in place here in our diocese um, to allow us to deal with it if we have any sort of allegation of sexual abuse? Right, so... Um so the the protocol kind of starts depending on who gets the call first. Sure. Uh, so if I get the call um, first, which does happen the majority of the time, um, then our next protocol, let's say that it's in a, in a call where they su- there's suspected abuse of a minor, um, which I don't believe that we've had any of those types of calls. Um, not where like there's been suspected abuse of a minor, but maybe there's been like an inappropriate behavior that um, that made somebody uncomfortable. Um, so my first step is I call uh, the chancellor and I talk it over with him. I tell him like, okay, so here's what has been reported. Um, and then we uh, decide if, uh, so for example, if it was um, suspected abuse, we would immediately call law enforcement. Um, and we would encourage the person who was reporting it to also report it to law enforcement. Um, and then we would also make what we call a sky report, which is the statewide central intake for child abuse. Um, we would make that report as well um, with all the information that we have in order to ensure that the authorities are investigating um, the allegation. And then on our end, the chancellor and yourself, Bishop, <laughs> would discuss um, what to do from uh, like the pastoral um, area. So, for example, if the um, abuse allegation is severe or very credible, you know, then you might decide to uh, suspend uh, their ministry for the time being while the investigation takes place or um, something along those lines. And then we also would offer my services to whatever parish had been affected um, if anybody needed to talk something over or if they needed to reach out at all. Good. When you, when you say, um, and I think this is something that we all should know, um, especially people, you know, if you're a teacher or counselor or somebody in my position or, you know, a person of authority and something's reported to you, what sort of entities would you, you mentioned law, law enforcement. So mm-hmm. we, 
you know, 62% of our diocese is made up of, of uh, Native American lands. Mm -hmm. So what sort of uh, entities would you report? Right, so I know it seems really complicated when you're dealing with tribal land versus state land versus all those things, but actually the number to call is normally the same. So for example, for the child abuse um, report that goes to statewide central intake, so that's your Children, Youth, and Families Department, uh, it's the 1-800-SAFE uh, number, and you, you call that number no matter um, no matter if it's on the reservation or if it's in the state, you still call the number and then they ensure that it gets the proper authority. And if, if it took place in Arizona, would that number be helpful too? Right, Same so number. in Arizona it would be the um, Arizona uh, statewide central intake, okay. which is a different number, okay. but also a 1-800 number. But even if you called the 1-800 in New Mexico... They would probably refer they would you to refer the Arizona you to the number. They would know yeah. exactly where you were. So they would be very <laughs> helpful. And then they could, you know, contact the sheriffs or the, mm -hmm. the police or the FBI. or Right. Because a lot of places in the, in the, the reservations, uh, in some cases, are under the jurisdiction of the FBI, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And so, and even if you were to go to, say, whatever law enforcement is closest to you, whether it's Navajo Nation or Gallup PD or um, Sheriff's Department, State Police, whatever law enforcement agency is close enough to you, you can go to them and they will make sure that it, it gets into the right jurisdiction. Yeah, yeah, they could say this isn't us, but this is who this goes to, which would, I think, be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Maybe um, maybe shift a little, uh, the gears, uh, or shift our, our gears a little bit, but um, it, lately it seems that um, there's been a lot of uh, accusations of uh, uh, either sexual abuse or of uh, sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's kind of popped up uh, in in Hollywood or in in the news or in uh, in in, uh, in Capitol Hill, right? D.C., Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you could, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, and, and maybe even say, you know, why do you think there's this kind of spike all of a sudden in that? Right, so I think that uh, with like the Harvey Weinstein accusations, I think that was really probably the beginning of the current hashtag MeToo movement. Um, it, that wasn't like the first things that were reported, you know, because Taylor Swift also had an incident that she reported prior to that. Um, and then there was the Speaker of the House uh, who was reported for inappropriate messages toward um, pages and all that kind of stuff. So there, there were other reports beforehand, but this kind of... Um, mania of, yeah. of reporting that's come out um, you know I think I think it, it just comes down to the fact that at some point the dam breaks sure you know and all it took was for one big fish like Harvey Weinstein to go down for everyone else to say nobody is safe yeah you know um, I listened to another podcast where they they say okay who who are we throwing in the bin next you know yeah. so every single time the report comes out they're like all right he's in the bin you know um, and I and I think that the reason for it as well is that I think that we as a nation, we as a world, are are crying out for God, and we're crying out for some sort of moral um, authority. You know, and I think that in our secular world, they don't realize that that's that's what they're asking for. Is they're sure. asking for direction. They're asking for for there to be rules, right? And it's very strange to come from like Hollywood or Capitol Hill even. Um, or from the more leftist side of, of Capitol Hill and say like, oh, we really need these rules. Like we need rules of etiquette. You know, uh, we need the Mike Pence rule, right? Where he's not going to be alone with anybody. I think that's yeah. awesome. I, I, yeah. uh, when I heard that, and it's really sad that, he, that a lot of people, uh, mm -hmm. they, um, 
they really kind of threw him under the bus and they criticized him for that. Right, calling him a misogynist or sexist for for not wanting to be alone with single women where alcohol is involved. Sure. You know, which to us would just sound like common sense. Um, You know, I know married couples who who don't have singular friends, like who don't have, like the husband doesn't have like his friends and the wife has her friends, you know, all of their friends are mutual friends. Friends as couples, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great way, I think, um, in order to make sure whether we're keeping guard over our chastity as mm-hmm. well as the chastity of somebody else. Yeah, you know, and I think ultimately one of the problems is um, a lot of people when they think about uh, the church, you know, they think that we're big old prudes and, and we think that sex is super evil and we're never going to talk about it or anything like that. And that's that's just not the case. You know, we believe that sex is a beautiful gift from God sure. um, and deserves respect. Um, and that we as people deserve to be respected and to respect others. Um, now, we have a moral authority that tells us, like, that person across from me is a child of God. They have an innate dignity, you know, a dignity of life that I have to respect. Um but when you don't have that, like in places like Hollywood where everything is relativism, right? And everything is, well, what is your truth? You yeah, know? Yeah. And it looks like Harvey Weinstein's truth uh, was quite a bit different than what, you know, the rest of the world deems uh, decent. He could do whatever he wanted mm-hmm. to whoever he wanted because he essentially, you know, he's a very powerful man. And it sounds like he sat on a big pile of money, too. And, yeah. uh, and uh, that kind of that, that kept things uh, quiet for that, too. I was, as you were, you were mentioning, you know, we're creating the image and likeness of God. You know, that's, that's something that neither somebody can give to us nor take away. Um, but it's, that's a God-given gift. And I was uh, reflecting a little bit about, you know, during the, the so-called sexual revolution in the 60s, and then carrying on in the 70s with the me generation. And in 1968, on uh, July 25th, uh, blessed Pope Paul VI, one of my favorites, he... Uh, he, he uh, gave the world a beautiful letter, uh, Humanae Vitae, which was essentially mm-hmm. controversial at the time because it, it swam against the tide, right? And the whole kind of the question that everybody was thinking about was, was the church, was the Pope going to give permission uh, for people to use, Catholics to use, artificial contraception? Mm-hmm. Now, as we know, many people were already, but they were, they were saying, was the church going to give this permission? And then um, you know, he had a commission that said this is what he recommend, they recommended that he does it. But he's under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we see the wisdom of the church. But Paul VI said, no, if we go down this rabbit hole, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And one of the main things he says is going to happen is people are going to start to objectify one another, not tr- treating them as subjects, creating the image likeness of God, but treating them as objects, as something to be used. Like I'm, right now I'm sitting on a chair. It's an object. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be used so that I can sit on it, but a person is never to be treated like an object. And I think this is so much a part of what we're dealing with, um, with any sort of sexual abuse or any sort of sexual harassment, mm-hmm. is that somebody is objectifying the other and using them, in these cases, for their own pleasure, their own twisted pleasure, too. So Absolutely. You know, and I think it, it comes back to, to the contraception uh, the fact that contraception is so widely used, you know, and and so widely, um, you know, there's so much propaganda sure. about contraception, you know, like, oh, it's it's women's health or it gives women a certain amount of freedom, you know, and all, all it really does, right, is endanger women's health. Puts their life at risk. Right. When you, you know, if you ever look at the... Uh, the side effects. The side yeah. effects. It's, it's ridiculous. You know, yeah. a lot of things on TV, 
it seems like half the 30-second spot, it will mention, mm -hmm. you know, the side effects. But with contraception, they don't have enough time on TV to, mm -hmm. to talk about the side effects. And, no, they just know. list the big ones, like death. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they, they hop on that. Effect. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's, it's, it's crazy because, uh, you know, we have this organic food movement and essential oils and, and all this type of thing. And these women who would never put anything organic, you know, non-organic in their body just straight up um, put artificial hormones in their body to stop a natural process. Um, but when we take contraception um, and make it so widely spread, right, what we're doing is we're separating um, sex from life, right? So we're separating the, the true purpose of sex, which is to create life. When we separate that, it's an easy step to separate um, sex and love. You know, and it used to be, right, when you get married, you'll have sex. And then it became, well, when you love somebody, uh, you know, then you can have sex with them. And now it's like, well, maybe you meet somebody and you can have sex and then you can decide if you kind of love them or not. Sure, and we even talk about someone like friends with benefits, which right. is really mm -hmm. twisted. Yeah. And ultimately behind all that, you know, all these things, these horrible things that we're talking about, ultimately behind that is the evil one. And mm -hmm. so uh, he's, he's really uh, having a... Because he's really raining right now in, in our culture. So I think one of the things, too, is that we really need God in our life. Um, you know, and to go back from the very beginning, we're creating the image and likeness of God, male and female. We're called together, to, we're called to come together, uh, to be unitive, and to be open to the gift of life of procreative. And that's, that the sexual act is only really permissible. It's not sinful um, when a husband and wife are freely giving of themselves. Uh, open to the gift of life and coming together, uh, together as one. Um, we see that, and and one of the things that Paul the Six also said, he said, if we go down this rabbit hole, he understood that we'd start to people would objectify one another, and he talked about violent crimes, mm -hmm. violent crimes against women, and violent crimes against children, and unfortunately, we just it's just exploded mm -hmm. in our culture. So I, I think that, you know, the work that you do as the Victim Assistance Coordinator for the diocese, I think it's essential uh, because uh, what we are doing, in particular you, is if somebody has been wounded by an act like that, uh, you're helping them heal, you're pointing them in the right direction to the right agency. Um, so I, I think that's, I think that's, that's awesome, the, mm -hmm. the work, work that you're doing. So do you have uh, maybe... Some more words of wisdom as we come to the close of our uh, our weekly uh, podcast on uh, Crozier Cast. <laughs> you know, only that. Um, you know, I think that oftentimes in the the non-Catholic world, the church is portrayed as this unfeeling, uncaring, um, you know, institution that just allowed for children to be hurt and then did nothing. And I don't think that that's true at all. As somebody who works on the the ground level with the survivors, um, you know, I know that that the church has has done so many things to change their response um, and to meet survivors where they're at and to um, to help them heal in any way that we can um, you know and and I've seen it work you know and I think that that the church is doing a, an excellent job of protecting children now and of trying to make right what went wrong great great yeah there there is um... There is mercy, there's compassion, and uh, there is healing in the Lord. And that's where mm -hmm. ultimately we try to uh, try, uh, bring people to. Because 
we never want to draw people to ourselves. We always want to draw ourselves to the one to the has the power to save, which is Jesus Christ and his church. And that'll do it for us for another episode of CrozierCast. Uh, thank you to Elizabeth Terrell and Bishop Wall again. For Bishop Wall for hosting, and Elizabeth, thanks for stopping by today. My pleasure. And we'll see you all next week for another episode. Thank you.